Clay, as we get into the trial of Jack McCall, I was wondering, because I frequently wonder whether or not my part is part of your part and your part is whether it's a part of my part and my ear is part of your ear and your mouth and whatever that is, but what part do you think that you play in this podcast? Uh, I am the uh, severed hair tuft of a dead savage. <laughs> Twenty, You're selling yourself cheap for 25 cents for a tuft. <laughs> I, would, I would easily give you a quarter and a dime, I think, for a tuft. <laughs> heathen, heathen tufts for sale, tufts for sale. I have to say, of all the quotes in this episode, I found that this episode to be the most useful when uh, angry and talking to your your children. Because uh-huh. um, I I enjoyed uh, I th- anything else on your schedule you need me to do and uh, clean somewhere I can't see you and get fucking was my favorite <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, the Bullock. Um, is it exactly that the Bullocks? Is there anything else I'm behind on? I forget what his exact line is, but his, yeah, his, so, yeah, something about being on something on the doc schedule. Yeah, can, yeah. And yeah. is there anything else according to you I'm behind on or something like that? Is yeah, uh, is yeah. A good one. Yeah, actually, um, I don't know. I don't know if this one's as quotable an episode, but I guess we're going to get into it. So we're going to take a little bit of a break, play the music, and then we're going to come back and break down the trial of Jack McCall. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. This is The Trial of Jack McCall, directed by Ed Bianchi, written by John Beluso. In this one, Swearingen realizes that McCall's trial could bring unwanted attention from the territorial government. The widow Garrett's withdrawal from laudanum takes a toll on her. She signs a proxy, giving Bullock authority over her property. Swearingen and Farnham devise a plan. Trixie will offer to help with the Mets girl, using the opportunity to slip almost some of Al's dope. Tolliver has Kramed taken out into the woods and left for dead. Doc Cochran warns of the upcoming epidemic, which he su- suspects is smallpox. McCall's trial begins. He claims that he was avenging the death of his brother. Swearingen pulls the judge aside for a little talk. McCall is set free. Jane finds Kramed and in a drunken stupor chooses to take care of him. McCall leaves Deadwood at Swearingen's advice. Bullock pursues the coward who murdered his friend. That was also going to open with, uh, Clay, would you like a blowjob while I talk to you, which I think is appropriate, <laughs> but uh, I'm not personally offering, which is, which is in an episode that's not super quotable, I think that is my quote of the episode because I think that whole sequence is very funny. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, the one thing that I learned from this episode <clears throat> is uh, I'm really starting to get a sense of the kind of person that Jane is, and it's the worst kind of person that you want to run into in any sort of social gathering or in life, really. Uh, she's the kind of person who, who, if she realizes that you can't converse with her, will just talk at you until you die. Yeah, that's <laughs> she is. It's also kind of a, a staple of this series. I don't know if it's happened yet, but it does happen a lot um, going forward. There's going to be conversations between characters where one character is doing all the talking and the other character can't respond for a, a variety of reasons. And it's mm-hmm. a, a window into the life. Here it's um, Jane talking to Kramed as he is ill with smallpox and left into the woods to die um and she finds him and sort of takes him back to brings him back to health uh, i really love that final sequence with her though like she, she the uh weigert is such a good actress uh, yeah. that part where she's talking to him as he can't respond because he's so ill at this point but she's talking about going to see uh, bill's burial and she breaks down into tears but i love the way it ends too which is just you know we've, we talked in the show about 
it, it, it doesn't just it doesn't wallow, but it it effectively portrays a whole range of human emotions. Where after she breaks down, she's just like, "I had never seen a bird like that before. <laughs> Maybe I should tell you about him instead." It's just it, it's kind of it's like it's touching and sort of um, you know cute and also true to the character. I, I, you know, because they could have easily just ended that scene with her breaking down in tears, and then the camera pulls back, and she it just sits on her for a little bit as she cries. But yeah, uh, she yeah. pulls herself together for a little bit. Saw the widow's husband in the creek. Lest they're keeping more than one body cool for shipping back east. Tethered, wrapped up, and floating like a lure for some huge fucking fish. <sighs> The widow's got the little one now. I had her for a while, but I ain't the type she should be with long term. Fucking drunk and so forth. And when I was down at the creek, I heard voices. And I went to where they were singing. And I saw them as they laid my poor fucking pill. Now there's a bird I ain't never seen before. Shall I talk about it to you? This is also might be the most uh, Shakespearean episode so far. Because there's a couple specifically coming from EB. Yeah, because he does his uh, monologues. Yeah, there was there was a, a one scene where I actually thought he was starting to rhyme in his speech, mm-hmm. and uh, then of course he actually gets like a full on soliloquy, basically. Yeah. about halfway through the episode, that was interesting. It's and it's a little bit um, it's an odd monologue too because it's not it's not really tied into the plot at all. It's just his sort of thoughts about where he stands with Al in general. It's not yeah. like he's really thinking about anything uh, larger than his own characterization, which is kind of neat. But yeah, we can um, we can get into it. Uh, I guess my opening thing is I I think this might be my least favorite episode so far, which is not to say that I don't mm. like it, but it's the most different from the other ones, and it's the most um, openly satirical of all of them. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's clearly picking on the justice system as one of its main plot lines. Um, I don't know how, what did you think about it in general, in a general sense? Would you agree? It it also felt a little bit more, I want to say focused, but that doesn't feel like the right word. It just feels like it's more limited in its scope about what it's looking at throughout the camp where the other episodes Mm. felt a little bit more broad and touched on a whole range of characters. I feel like things here are a little bit more narrow. It's the trial it's McCall and it's kind of Bullock or like the main focus points. I guess the Alma subplot is also put on top of that too, but it doesn't feel like it has the, the range of capturing the whole camp in its uh, purview. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I also felt like this was the, the, the one that I liked the least so far. It felt, that's not to say it's bad, but it, it felt very workmanlike it, it, like, because it, it kind of felt like it was a, a bridge episode or something where they were, where it was just sort of moving some stuff, moving some pieces around a bit. Um, <clears throat> like even I, I felt like the, the smallpox bit, uh, as, as they were going through, what's his name? Crane. 
Cramed. It, it's spelled like, you would pronounce it like Cramed if you read it, but it's Cramed, I think. Okay, Cramed. Uh, the thing with Cramed and bringing him off into the woods and stuff, part of me was thinking like, okay, this feels like a subplot that they don't really know what to do with, and maybe this is just going to be the end of it when they drag him out into the woods. But I'm, I'm, maybe not. I don't, I don't remember what happens with him, but... It's just like the stuff that was going on here is like it's very focused on the trial, which is which is fine. I mean, it's a big deal. Um, but since it was all focused on the aftermath of the the fallout of of uh, Wild Bill's killing, um, it, it it did feel sort of limited and just sort of like all right, we have to kind of like push through these details before we can really get things going again. Yeah. In what sense do you mean? Like, do you feel that the trial is just kind of perfunctory, or it, like, what what comes no, after I mean, the it's trial? Just, it's mean? like like the killing of Wild Bill is is such a big deal that it makes sense that everything is focused on it, but it also isn't really it, the there's not as it's not as um, uh, I I didn't I didn't get the sense that it was anything like really important overall to what was happening with all these stories it was just sort of like the roadblock that they all kind of hit at the same time and so they have to get through this before they can kind of continue on with everything else so it's like it's it's a it's a bit of a bottleneck for the stories gotcha yeah it's um i i guess it's an unusual episode because it focuses so much on the trial uh yeah here which is um, kind of unusual for the show at this point because again, as I was saying, like it doesn't feel. It feels previously like the show was a little bit all over the place in terms of touching all of the characters, and here it feels much more focused on what's going on. Um, and before we get into it, I guess that like I was just because um, one of our listeners who was on Discord was just talking about the, the first time approaching the show, and I thought it would be good to sort of talk about that uh, before we get into the actual episode itself, just because I thought his. Um, sort of criticisms of the show were interesting. Mm. And you like, I, I think that the show definitely takes a while to get used to, I think. Like, I, th- I think it's not a show that is easily accessible. Maybe your first time through or the first couple episodes until you sink into things. You had mentioned a Shakespearean um, connection. And I think to me, like, I don't know how much of the show is written in iambic pentameter and I don't know how much of it is actual like you would put it down as like poetic lines if you were writing it out or if it's just written out as an actual script line that mm. the things work that way. But I, what I do feel is Shakespearean about it in Milch's writing is that he will, he will put words in a way that makes more sense for how it sounds to be said than it makes sense in the context of what he's talking about with things. So... That was sort of a like a weirdly uh, good example of it. So it's like it's hard to describe, but he he doesn't write dialogue that easily explains situations. And if he does easily explain situations, he has characters write in not a way that's like it's not like Yoda from Star Wars, but they don't put words in a very easy to understand arrangement for you to understand what they're talking about at first glance. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, to quote Twin Peaks. Uh, he he means it like it is, like it sounds. Yeah, I, I guess that's. I guess that's a, that would be a good way to describe it. It's more about the like what it evokes in you and 
you do have to like, you have to like actively pay attention to them, I guess, when they're talking. Like if you, you really do. want to understand yeah. what they're saying to each other. I like in the, for instance in this episode um when it got to the uh Farnham scene where he's scrubbing the floor. Yes, and, it's and easy to, to blank himself. out during that. Yeah. I I blanked out for a second and I was listening to that going like, "Oh, is he talking about like a scheme that he's going to that he's concocting for himself and then i went back and listened to it again i was like oh no he's talking from the point of view of al yes that i was just about to bring that up if you if you're not paying initial attention that soliloquy makes makes it sound like he's plotting something but you yeah it definitely does yeah because i i thought at first he was and i mean i mean technically maybe he still is and 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 the way that he's milch is choosing to express that is through Farnham sort of role playing Al. Yeah. But but yeah, on the first listen it sounded like it sounded very much like a Shakespearean soliloquy where he's actively voicing his internal monologue. Right. How he's gonna kill <coughs> Hamlet or something further down yeah, the line. Yeah. But then going back it's like, oh, he's just like sort of he's vo- he's voicing what he understands Al's position to be. Yes. You have been tested, Al Swergen. And your deepest purposes proved there's gold on the woman's claim. You might as well have shouted it from the rooftops. That's why I'm jumping through hoops to get it back. Thorough as I fleeced the fool she married, I will fleece his widow too. Using loyal associates like Eustace Bailey Farnham as my go-betweens and dupes. To explain why I want her boat out, I'll make a pretext of my fear of the Pinkertons. I'll throw Farnham a token fee. Why should I reward E.B. with some small fractional participation in the claim? Or let him even lay by a little security and source of continuing income for his declining years? What's he ever done for me? except let me terrify him every goddamn day of his life till the idea of bowel regularity is a full-on fucking hope. Um, and pitying himself with the humor yes. at the end, just by like the like, what you know, what if what if what do what I get except for like an, an extreme case of like bowel incontinence for all the trouble that I'm, I've been through and being terrified every fucking moment of my life and stuff like that. He, it's a, it's it sounds worse than it is, but he's actually really just sort of wallowing in his patheticness at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, if it does turn out that he is up to scheming something, something I, I think that's a really clever way to to um, set that up. Even though I don't think EB really has the has the stones to go through with anything like that. But no, yeah, it's um, I just I. Because I did want to say, like, I do find that the language can be difficult, but I, I do think that the most Shakespearean act, act uh, like, part of it is that I do feel like Shakespeare would frequently write things out of order because he was actually writing in poetic meter. So, like, to, in mm-hmm. order to make things work with the rhyme scheme or to make, like, you know, to make the lines fit, you have to kind of play around with the syntax of what you're talking about. And I think the characters here do that a lot a lot of the swears are in like the wrong place in the sentence you know but it's like yeah. the point is more the impact of how it sounds when people are saying things to you like the um the swearing when he's talking to sigh 
uh, and they're talking about like where the the uh, the court, the you know where the um, the problem with having this trial is going to be coming down to them. And mm-hmm. it's, it's he just says the line, "Deny your fucking gold and property claims. Hand everything over instead to our ne'er do well cousins and brothers in law." It's just it's just kind of a confusing sentence what he's talking about there but he's yeah. he's just saying that the government's going to come in it's going to take everything and give it to people that don't even matter to them like brothers-in-law you know it's like it's not, right, they don't right, even right. give it to their brothers they give it to their brother-in-law so it's it's just this confusing <clears throat> web of language but it's like it's really evocative once you get into sort of coming to grips with what they're talking about in the first place but just let me say this once in your hearing for outright stupidity the whole fucking trial concept goes shoulder to shoulder with that cocksucker Custer's thinking when he headed for that ridge. It's got its disadvantages. We're illegal. Our whole goal is to get annexed to the United fucking States. We start holding trials. What's to keep the United States fucking Congress from saying, oh, excuse us, we didn't realize you were a fucking sovereign community and nation out there. Where's your cocksucker's flag? Where's your fucking navy or the like? Maybe when we make a treaty with the Sioux, we should treat you people like renegade fucking Indians, deny your fucking golden property claims, and hand everything over and said to our near-to-well cousins and brothers-in-law. That we don't want. But if we're going to have the fucking thing, might as well have it in my joint, huh? Yeah, it's like that classic line from Romeo and Juliet, do you bite your thumb at me? No, I do not bite my thumb at you, sir. That's... <laughs> Is that Romeo plus Juliet? Is that the uh, yeah the, I, the modern? I only I actually only remember that because of the way that they dramatize that in that movie, which is <laughs> Jamie Kennedy screaming in that weird Jamie Kennedy voice. No, I do not bite my, my thumb at you, sir. <laughs> <clears throat> I haven't I I haven't read Romeo and Juliet since high school, but um, the only thing I know about it now is that, like a lot of people read it as a kind of like satire about young love, which it was never treated that way in high school, I don't think, by teachers. But it would be interesting to reread it with that in mind to have it be like a sort of like irrational actions of teenagers falling in love mm, and stuff like that's that. That's interesting. Yeah, I've heard people talk about um, Catcher in the Rye that way. Where I loved Catcher in the Rye. That's my favorite book that I read in well, high school. I've I've heard people talk about saying like you know you, you really love it in high school because you identify with Holden and yes. then you when you read it when you're older you identify with everybody else and realize how much of a shithead he is. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. But I, and I, yeah. and that's probably the genius of that book, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I was surprised. It was another thing that felt weird about this episode was I was surprised that Cy and Al were for lack of a better term, conspiring with each other or talking so um, friendly with each other yep. so quickly because they set them up only like an episode or two ago as as clearly an antagonists towards each other. Yes. Um, so it was a little weird to see them sort of, even though they were kind of, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing, but, um, <clears throat> or vice, vice, whatever, you know what I mean. Uh so I, I found it a little bit weird for them to be talking in the way that they were. Um, so that may, that kept me a little off kilter for this one, which kind of made me think like, all right, so are they kind of like 
just trying to push through some stuff here? Like what's, I, I was, I was trying to get my bearings on, on where these relationships were at this moment. Yeah. I, I really like that scene because I think those two are great actors. The whole, their whole conversation, oh, yeah, they're, they're very friendly, but they clearly don't trust each other because every time in that sequence where one holds the door for another or lets the other one go in front of him, the other one behind him rolls his eyes at him. Right, so it, yeah. it's this like, <laughs> they're, they're having a straight conversation, but they, they are not being totally upfront with each other and i think i think what you're saying is true it's a um it's an enemy of my of my enemy is my friend agreement between the two of them and i think that their relationship just goes to the whole central theme of the episode which is that it's um it's the show is taking a moment to pause and say like these are the troubles that are going to come up as this society is, is starting to come together and yeah. so you have the two the two main poles of the episode are you have the trial on one hand, which is a satirical take on the judiciary process in this uh, in this show in this timeline, and then you have the uh, death and burial of Wild Bill and Reverend Smith's uh, outlook on things on the other side, mm-hmm. and I think that like Reverend Smith is kind of vital to this episode and I think people like Seppenwell have said in his reviews that like uh, Smith's the most important piece of dialogue in this series comes in this episode from Smith when he's talking when he's reading from Corinthians and Milch actually didn't even read didn't write what they're talking about in that because they're just lifting it from the Bible Uh, but it's the it's the thing that Smith is trying to hint at Bullock the entire episode is like what part do you play they they quote Corinthians, which is about like how the parts of the body all work in concert with each other. They aren't antagonistic towards each other, and it doesn't make any sense for the different parts of the body to not work in concert with each other. Um, mm. You know, representing the, the God and the Holy Spirit and all that stuff, and man's relationship with them. Which is why, if you can pat your head and rub your stomach at the same time, it's such a, a feat. It's a, it's the the. The, the clouds break together, and the, the, the light breaks out from the heavens and shines down on you. And Smith is um, Smith represents that aspect that Bullock does not really understand. And on the other hand, Al and Sai represent the things that are tearing apart the parts of the body working together because their whole reason that they need a corrupt trial to happen and that they can't find Jack guilty is because. If the government of America comes in and finds that these people in this town have actually been starting to like implement their own laws, at that point they're basically a sovereign nation. And Al's argument is, when the when America when the government of America comes to Deadwood, they have to come not as antagonistic to another hostile country and take everything from us, but they have to come and annex us so that we are allowed to keep everything that we've worked for here in the meantime. Yeah, it's it's interesting because. Um a lot of the best westerns i don't mean the hotel chain although maybe i do a lot of the best best westerns <laughs> are uh, uh have great clean towels and, and hourly rates quite hourly rates <laughs> but a lot of the best westerns are about ultimately the death of the old west um you've and it's always symbolized by some sort of modern civilized thing encroaching on uh, the the lawlessness. So in the Wild Bunch, it's the um, automobile and the, uh, uh, the the machine gun. Yeah, technology. Um, yeah, in f- fairly 
famously in in Once Upon a Time in the West, it's the train, right? And uh, and in this one, it's it's a it's an interesting take on that idea because most of the time it's presented as sort of like either a background element that's just metaphorical or it's um, built into the scheme of the villain or something in like a very archway that's kind of short-sighted because uh, you know, once upon a time in the West, it's, it's a, uh, the, the guy wants control of the train for you know monetary reasons or blah, yep. blah, 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 blah. I, I find Al's speech there about about uh, the government really interesting because it falls in line with this this idea, except the thing is that Al isn't trying to bring – he's not trying to bring the change. He's trying to make sure the change comes in the way that's most beneficial to him. Yes. And it's a really clever way to kind of play in that same – sandbox because i don't know what it is about the end of the end of the west but like the end of the west always is depicted with the highest um level of intensity because you've got these these big bright mythic sort of flames that are that are all burning out at the same time yeah and the death of wild bill is kind of like the first one of those dominoes to fall and so it's it's really uh, uh i like i like the way that they're setting up that that theme uh of inevitably the wave of American Western expansion is going to hit them. And it's, and it's a way that's different than you see in a lot of other Westerns. Yeah. The characters here aren't running from it, right? They, they've come right. here because they're trying to exploit the natural wealth of the area. And they've agreed on, you know, as we talked about, they've agreed on gold as like the symbol that's going to unite them and bring them all there. And they're going to uh, exploit it and take it and become wealthy from it. But, they do want the American government to come in at a certain point, right, as you're yeah. saying. And so it, it's not this like, it's not the sadness of the cowboy on his horse, just like just wants to be by, by himself out there in the West and like, and is, and is terrified of the encroaching technology and rules and regulations yeah. and everything like that. It's the opposite. It's, we need them to come in, but how, how these things integrate into what we're trying to set up is very important to us. And, it feeds into like the trial. The trial itself is the satire of the court system, just because it, it's it's copying what we now understand is like you know the American and the Western democracy system of justice. This court system of a jury of your peers or whatever is probably the best system in the world, but it's also so flawed at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like there's just no good way to really figure that stuff out and. So the show is making kind of a, a joke about that or making light of it or at least doing a little satire on it where the, it's showing you all the ways that you can break this court system and all the things that could go wrong with it, but also putting it into the context of Deadwood, which needs it to go wrong at that point for those very reasons. And it doesn't actually have the full backing of a state or government behind it to at least even attempt to like enforce that things go correctly in it. So you have you know, the... Um, the judge uh, being spoken to by Al, you have people being interrupted, you have the sort of the sleazy lawyer types, so you have this sort of bullshit excuse that uh, Hickok killed my brother, which is apparently what yeah. the real life excuse was that got McCall oh, really? off of this, was that he had claimed that he, Hickok had killed his brother and it was a revenge killing. Well, it's it, like, in, uh, like in Tombstone, after when, the, uh, when the sheriff gets killed. Yep. 
And uh, what's the line when he comes back? Earp comes back from the the, the trial. Is like uh, the judge said, "Well, you can't have a murder if you don't have a witness." Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess just being a witness of your own, uh, you know, your own volition or whatever is enough in this time. It has um, the guy who in the previous episode said that he hopes Hickok dies in the camp is on the jury. You know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it has everything sort of falling apart. It has. <laughs> One of the, the great lines is, the jury will now convene to the rooms of the whores. Yes. <laughs> We're back in session. This camp is part of no territory, state, or nation. Stars and stripes may fly here soon, but that day is not here yet. You of the jury, therefore, are without the law upon which to decide this case. How then are you to decide it? You must rely on common custom. The McCall killed Hickok is not in dispute. He says he was taking revenge that Hickok murdered his brother. If you believe what he says to be true, custom dictates that you excuse him. The jury will now retire to the whore's rooms and begin their deliberations. It has to be told to bust a nut so that he can come back out and deliver his vote and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's all talking about all that stuff, and I think it does it fairly cleverly. I still, I still like this episode, but it's the longest extended take on a metaphor, I think, that the show has done, which makes it feel like a little bit of an oddball. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think that is probably why it feels so um, transitional, because it is really kind of leaning into a singular thing. Uh, as opposed to seeing how many uh, different ways the the stories kind of expand and, and interweave and stuff like that. It is all really kind of circling the same thing. Like, honestly, this is the kind of thing, uh, I think maybe we talked about this last episode, I can't remember, uh, where it surprises me that Bill didn't make it longer into the first season. Like, it almost feels like the the trial of Jack McCall in in most other shows would have been like a sweeps week thing you know right right like the wild bill gets killed towards the end of the season and then everything kind of comes together at this trial um but obviously that's not the point of the trial but no uh that's that's why i think that's why it feels a little bit more transitional to me yeah it's it's i think it's neat like i i i'm not i'm I'm maybe not crazy about I don't know. It, it sounds like I'm being harsh. I, like I really love this show, so it's, I'm not. Like I think this episode is very good. I don't think it's bad, but it's it's definitely different. I think it's interesting for why it's different. But like the the point around it is just this sort of um, it ties into it's like it's like a loss of faith in the stuff that everyone is kind of hoping for to come through, right? Like they're everyone's yeah. hoping for the government. But this jury trial is a good example of like even for all the good things that you want, like to be able to make a deed for your claim and to be able to have like the rights to the businesses and stuff that you've set up out here and have those be protected is being put against this sort of flawed example of like this is also the bad stuff that's going to come through here, mm, which is this, yeah. this jury trial. Like I was like I was just trying to think about the um, – there have been a few. I can't really like the O.J. Simpson trial is the big one that sticks out to me where it's this. I feel similar to the characters in this episode, particularly like Jane and Seth when the when the and um, Merrick, I guess, is equally sort of naive about the, the possibility that McCall could get off on this thing because he's very upset by it. But there is something that happens like 
it does feel like such a colossal failure when someone who's clearly guilty gets off of something, even though that's the way the system is supposed to work. Like in the O.J. Simpson trial, I remember feeling I was young then, but even then it was like this is like a crazy outcome for this trial that this has happened. I'm sure there have been more recent ones. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but it it is like a personal – you feel very um, vulnerable, I think, right? It's it's the – well, it makes it it makes it feel like everybody has a certain sense of right or wrong, right? That they bring they bring into these things, and when the technical execution of the law does not line up with what your own personal value of right or wrong is, it's extremely frustrating, right? Because yeah. the point of the justice system is supposed to bring justice, and when it doesn't do that to a point that you're happy with, it it makes it all kind of feel very futile and, and pointless. Yeah, and I, I guess there, that's even an interesting distinction that this trial probably did bring justice, right? Like it it was a, well, it's hard because the trial's corrupt, but like there's a difference between like the sort of law and order aspect of it that Bullock wants in the justice of how the system is actually going to process what happens to McCall, which is what happens in this episode. So mm-hmm. it, it's tough. You end up You end up in that space where... You do like you. You do just feel and personally betrayed by what has gone on, but it's difficult to. It's difficult to square that with that. That's the way that everything is supposed to work out in this, and I think that yeah. Bullock kind of represents that. Bullock's like Bullock's frustration with this is more built on. I have an emotional sense of what right and wrong is, and the trial is not that. And one of my favorite uh, Swearingen lines from this is that. When he's talking to Jack at the very end, after he's been uh, he's having his like party at the gym or whatever for being found innocent, um, Swinton has a line that's like, "You better get out of here before someone who cares about right and wrong does something, or maybe I will." I, I just like the distinction there, which is that Swinton doesn't actually care about the right and wrong of what's happening, but he is prepared to take a stand on something if he feels if he feels it's for the betterment of the camp down the line oh yeah i mean yeah having jack mccall hanging around there is just as bad for al for 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 his own reasons as it is for uh anyone who feels personally wronged by the death of uh, of wild bill and as we've learned after five episodes al is not above taking a piece off the board for no other reason than he doesn't want it there right yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah and i think i think it's the the scene where Al talks to the judge is is important too because I think what it's a great scene that's yeah it, it's just everything in it yeah it's and because I think kind of expanding what we were just talking about the the frustrations of of the uh, um, the justice system when it doesn't go the way you want it to I I think the 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 thing that's so frustrating to Bullock and uh, what's the that's the reporter's name Merrick. Merrick and uh, Saul is that it's if 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 a um, how do I what am I trying to say here if a jury of your peers is the one are the ones who's going to convict you and they don't care enough to to do the right thing right or if the right thing doesn't benefit the majority of of them then they're not going to do it regardless of what 
the the actual law or or understanding or, or morality says it should be. So yeah. you've got and in that moment when he gets let when he gets off now the the it shows how small a minority of people actually gave a shit about Wild Bill. Yeah. Or what it means that he was just murdered, you know. Yeah. And it's it's it's, it's weird. Ju- like it's so sorry. I was just going to say there's there's a certain interesting uh, element to it when you look at how intensely emotional Bullock is about this. When you put you put his, put his dick up your why are you crying? He put his <laughs> dick up your ass. It's it it's fascinating to see how intensely emotional he gets about this because he essentially does the same thing that all these other people are doing to Wild Bill a couple episodes ago in reverse when he backs him up for the killing of Ron Swanson. Yeah. Right? Cuz yep. it's like the, he's it's he's not doing that for for justice reasons. He's doing it because he he's connected to him personally. Connected to to Wild Bill and and so there's as much as he wants justice and law and order He's not above doing things that are outside of the law, which I'm, you know, I guess we're going to see next episode as well. Yeah, which so, is which is how he ends it here because he is he is doing something illegal in hunting down McCall. So I like, and that's why I think it's interesting, and that's why I think Deadwood is good because Bullock yeah. is not a good cop, really. Like, right? I mean, that's that's what I was just going to say. Like, he's he's Mark Furman in this situation. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I guess he's he's a. <laughs> Uh well I, yeah I guess uh, I guess he is Mark Furman I was gonna I was gonna make a uh, contradiction but I guess you're 100 percent right maybe yeah, he, maybe he's not I, maybe he's not slurring as as much as Mark Furman yeah. was. <laughs> did you did you ever watch that um the uh the Ryan Murphy H uh, OJ Simpson show with Cuba Gooding Jr. and he, David Schwimmer uh were there two of those shows or was it just the I think it was wasn't it like the American Crime Story. Series? Yes, that yeah. one with yeah, okay. John Travolta yes, as, yeah, as the yeah. lawyer. Man, it was so good. It was so ridiculous and over the top. And like, th- there's this amazing end beat for one of the episodes where they start talking about Mark Furman, and then the camera starts like slowly pushing through his apartment into this back room where he's like cleaning something. And then you go up like over his head and see his trophy case full of Nazi memorabilia. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's, okay, it's I see. Subtle. I see where yeah, I see where they stand on this guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he's not he's not a good cop. He's he's lying. He's lying to help his friend out. When if he was a, a, a real, you know, law and order by the book kind of guy, he wouldn't yep. have done that. And now he is turn going to go vigilante because things didn't the the system didn't work the way that he wanted it to work. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess in Bullock's like to to argue for Bullock, he's in a situation in Deadwood where he does not have a book anymore. Right? True. True. So he, good. I was just say. I mean, he is. It's tough because he he's not a good cop by any metric, right? But no. he yeah. is in line with the traditional sort of like dirty harry type cop who's going to do what he has to do to yes. to get the job done who who who's, does exist outside of a system you know right yeah. and the the badge he answers to he answers to morally right not what's what his badge tells him to do right and that's a very uh, classic archetype but it does make uh it does make for a really um juicy character in this show when there's like right and wrong is so fuzzy to begin with, yeah, 
and um, yeah, I'm, I, it, he's he's a he's a fascinating guy. This was the first episode I think I'd mentioned previously. Ed Bianchi directed this, and he was the one that was saying that the producers changed their opinion of him, and I noticed it too. Uh, Bianchi said that he didn't do anything different; he just felt that they weren't shooting Bullock appropriately when he was walking. Mm. And they don't do any of the silly side shots of him walking in this one. He's always Bianchi does a more technical description of what he does. He, he so he used a, I think he used a longer lens that he said flattened the image a little bit more. Mm. And they did it in Bullock's sort of I think he's slow motion, but he's walking to Chinatown to talk to Jack McCall, who's in the pig uh, yeah, thing. Yeah. But it's definitely the shooting him from front on. It is a longer lens because like it, the image is more compact and it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're right there with him and i do feel like he looks better in that sequence than he does when he's walking in the other shots that they've done him so uh, i did it seemed good i did specifically notice in that scene that they they don't shoot him from the waist down yeah <laughs> so well, he's like yeah. he's always walking behind <laughs> stuff like he's actually like a muppet or something he's <laughs> got little, little puppet strings pulling him out yeah so you can't see his weird marionette walk no it's a and it's a um you know, if I think if you were approaching this show thinking that Bullock is kind of the hero, this could maybe be a pretty frustrating episode because Bullock's just kind of a cunt the entire episode to everybody. Yeah. Um, he's cruel to the Reverend. He is not paying attention to what the Reverend is saying to him. He's yelling at Saul all the time. Um, he's accusing everyone. He accuses um, Tom Nuttall of trying to make money off of displaying the body of Wild Bill when he's when, he, when Nuttall just says that he's you know this is what the people in town wanted to do to pay respects to him. And I just mm. had to put him out here so that everyone would be able to see him. It's not a good Bullock episode for him as a character. He's clearly uh, frustrated <clears throat> and bad at dealing with his frustration and also has no, you know, Saul has a line like, should we get to work? And he just storms off because he's too angry to work. Yeah. Like he, he brings other people down through his emotionality of things. And he's now put himself in the position of the people he stood up to in the very first scene of the show, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a juxtaposition that is, uh, didn't go unnoticed for me anyway. And yeah. so it's, it really makes him pretty, uh, pretty multifaceted, um, when it comes to showing what he's about and how he's, re- but at the same time, I mean, like on a, all of this stuff, this contradictory stuff is really, good and interesting but but at the same time there is that base of him where it's just oh this is the he's yeah he's the good guy because like he of course he sides with wild bill when he shoots ron swanson because those those are the quote-unquote good guys and yeah you know that ron swanson was going to do something bad to wild bill he just didn't get the chance and here he is going to go after the guy who got off for murdering someone in cold blood so like those are the quote-unquote good guy western hero type things to do yeah, but it's presented in a way that's a lot more messy yeah. than than usual. Yeah, I mean, he has this scene where he, um, uh, the scene where, all the scenes are good, but the, the scene where he confronts Jack, who's tied up and is waiting his trial, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he has he has some line about like J- McCall says like he calls him like a droop-eyed cocksucker or something, and McCall says I've always been droop-eyed. I've been droop-eyed since birth, and. Bullock says something back that I always really love is like what and what do you blame the rest of the mess on or something yeah. like that, which I think is really good. Um, he strangles McCall. He probably would have killed him except for the lawyer walks in at that point. But McCall is, 
And McCall is also, you know, just just to amplify it even more about what's going on, McCall is probably the most vile he's ever been in this episode. Um, yeah. Not really redeemable in any way, shape, or form. In other episodes, you know, you could say that maybe Wild Bill is being kind of an asshole to him in some ways, but here it, it, that's not the case at all. He's just kind of a, a horrible human being. I uh, <laughs> I did. I think my favorite part of the episode was actually right when the trial begins and the the prosecutor gets up and starts with uh, like uh, what we have in front of here, us here is a sacred duty. And then they pan up to Al just goes, Jesus Christ, we're going to be here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the whole satire thing. Even down to, right, the, yeah. you know, the, the lawyers are such like douchey, you know, like, elitist lawyer types right who are like lecturing everybody about what's going on as they're trying to make yeah. their way through I this court case yeah i didn't realize there were so many lawyers in town i know there's, <laughs> there's enough like that you have seven to or eight guys <laughs> yeah. I that guess, need that vying for the position i guess that's actually true to form in that uh deadwood golden years books apparently there were a lot of lawyers because they're like even in a place where there wasn't law they needed lawyers to prepare for what was going to happen during annexation interesting so they were like yeah. overrepresented in this gold rush down. You uh, know, I, I do find this really cool, the way that they are seeding this oncoming uh, civilization wave. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, normally in, in, in those those other things that I mentioned previously, the, the end of the West movies and stories ends with the Western character usually dying or at least riding off into the sunset while modernity takes the place of what they knew and then they're just gone and whatever and this one in this it's it's these those characters they're still alive i mean i think wild bill is that character and he's the he's the only pure wild west character and now that he's off the board these other guys who are these wild west characters have to they still exist they're still living wyatt earp doesn't die at the end of tombstone he continues to live so he has to figure out how to deal with the 1920s when yeah. they eventually come around. <laughs> the, the, the Ford Model T. He's got to figure yeah. out how to drive one. But it's like it, they the benefit of having a show versus a movie is you can be more subtle with it and you can have the little drips and drops of this stuff come in where it's like they're look Al's looking further down the line to the American government coming in, but the lawyers are already here. Right. The lawyers are, are already starting to uh, uh, put the feelers out and and – get the place ready yep. for the uh for the bigger the bigger storm coming later i'll call them shysters uh yeah. early on and it is that racist because that like that has a jewish I, I implication right is that yeah it, it i think it does right yeah. like because that's that's a term that i've i've well, it, heard many times in reference to lawyers and or i or is it I just too similar to shylock which is definitely a jewish <clears throat> thing yeah i don't know hmm. i always i those, always think it's jewish yeah but i might be wrong yeah, that's one of those terms, like it feels like gypsy, sort of, where it's like, yep. yeah, it definitely has a, a, a racist, but it, it started off as an extremely racist term, and then people just kind of forgot about it, Yeah, but they still yeah. used it, uh, and I, that, I'm wondering if, if it has come back around yet that that's, uh, you know... A, right, a, a derogatory term, but I don't really hear anybody <laughs> use that term anymore. So I don't if, think if it really like, matters. If I was on trial and I called the prosecution a bunch of shysters, would it go over well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Put that on Twitter and how see how it, what the reaction is. Yeah, and Bullock is um, 
you know, it's as you're saying, like Deadwood is and Milch are less concerned about the West and more about, as you're saying, like what happens to Wyatt Earp after the West is gone? Right. Like what, where, yeah. where does he go at that point? And Deadwood is about building that. And the rev, like, I think on this rewatch, I've actually appreciated Reverend Smith more as a character. I think he's, I like him a lot. I think he's I really fascinating like because yeah. Milch wrote him he's he's serving a purpose which is that he is the one who is clearly the spiritual being who is seeing a little bit deeper into the relationships of people um a line that i i really love um is uh you know he's been talking he's talking about like the, the corinthians thing about the body and the parts of the body but even before he gets to that uh he asks bullock if um when they're about to bury Bill, he says, will you help me with the body? And it's like every everything that he's doing, the reason it's annoying Bullock so much is because it's just hammering on of like, you have to decide what you're going to do. Like, are you just this hardware guy who's not going to pay attention to any of this? Like, do you have a purpose within this larger organism mm-hmm. that's being built up here? Mr. Hickok will lie beside two brothers. One he likely killed, the other he killed for certain, and he's been killed now in turn. So much blood. And on the battlefields of the Brothers' War, I saw more blood than this. And asked then after the purpose, and did not know. And don't know the purpose now. But know now to testify that, not knowing, I believe. St. Paul tells us, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. He tells us, The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble, and those members of the body which we think of as less honorable, all are necessary. He he says that, there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one to another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. I believe in God's purpose, not knowing it. I ask Him, moving in me, to allow me to see His will. I ask Him, moving in others to allow them to see it. What's interesting about him is that Milch Milch also makes Smith a little bit crazy, right? Like he's not, he's clearly a little bit unhinged at the same time too, especially when during the burial scene, um, he's like, they're they're singing the hymn and he has shut his eyes and he's just kind of smiling at the sky as the sun is on his face. Mm. And I, I just think that he's, his earnestness is very off-putting. They wrote him and performed him so well. He's that just the kind of guy who says the very earnest thing that makes everyone else uncomfortable. But he, he's pointing to a larger truth here. And that's why you feel so bad when Bulk is an asshole to him and says, can we finish the rest of the goddamn walk in silence? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think Smith is really interesting. And I think that his, his role was really important. And this is also the first episode where uh, we get an indication that he's ill and he's not well at this point. Is it? Because I couldn't remember. Because when he has the seizure, 
I, I couldn't remember if that was the first time we had seen I th- it. I think it is. It is. I don't remember okay. seeing a seizure before. Or I don't remember seeing any indications that he was not well before this. Yeah, one of the things that I like about him that is so fun uh, to put him up against Bullock is that everything that he said, it's, it's part, of the, part of him seeming kind of unhinged. But everything he says is like so has such a tinge of of desperation to it, mm-hmm. and so it comes off not as someone who's just quoting scripture to Bullock. It sounds like someone who is desperately trying to get through to Bullock. Yeah, so he's trying to make Bullock understand the metaphor. It's interesting because <clears throat> like the the metaphor is there. Bullock doesn't get it, but Smith doesn't know any other way other than biblical language to say the point that he's trying to make to him, you know? Right, right. And I, and I don't even know, I mean, I think, I think he is, but like the desperation and his constant desperation makes me wonder, is he always trying to make a point to Bullock or does it just come off that way? Which is why Bill, I mean, Bullock responds so negatively to it because it's like, is, is he just, talking about what he's choosing for uh bill's service and just honestly asking him a question yeah or is he actually trying to get something across to seth but it's the desperation that's in in his voice and the shakiness that that always feels like he's not just telling seth what he's picking he's trying to tell him something by telling him that yeah and i i think it ties into he mentioned something at the start of his sermon that his sermon is really well constructed. He, he talks about how Bill is lying next to two brothers who he killed both of the, He killed one for sure, and they think he might have killed the other one. But mm-hmm. he's laying in so much blood. He came from the War of Brothers, which he's referring to the Civil War. He was a nurse in the Civil War at a certain oh, point. Really? He, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what, or that he references it, or that he was a nurse in the war. That he that he was a nurse. Yeah, he mentioned that in a previous episode. Um, oh, I forgot. And. You know, so it's it's this brother lingo, but the larger point that he's getting to is that humanity is just a brotherhood of trying to work together. And his point of the Civil War and Bill killing the other two brothers is that the, he doesn't really understand God's will, but he knows he's trying to act through it. And I think that that's mm-hmm. what you're getting at when he's talking to Bullock. He doesn't really understand why he's doing the things that he's doing, but he feels it's important to say these things to Bullock. So that 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 kind of that's the that's my sense of why his desperation comes across that way is that he feels pulled to do these things, but he doesn't really understand fully what's happening or why he's being that way. Same with his condition, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I was I always the first couple watches I was a little bit less sympathetic to Smith, but I think that he's. Um, He's a good I mean it sounds stupid to say he's a good character but he he's just like a he's a nice counterpoint to the rest of them and you understand his like I think I think he's a prime example of what we were talking about before which is that if you're not parsing what Smith is saying he can seem like an annoying character you know Yeah yeah so it's 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 that kind of thing to but just like you have to really pay attention to what he's saying from Corinthians and like how this applies to the camp in general. Like the, the direction does all as it can as, as he's talking about the parts of the body, it like does a close up of everyone in town basically <laughs> to try yeah. to hammer home this point that that's what he's, he's on about, but that's what it is. And I think that I would agree with Steppenwald that that's like the thematic statement. That's the, what do they call it? When the five paragraph essay, your uh, topic the sentence. Thesis? 
your thesis, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. That's that's pretty much what it is. In this in this Western series, I will show that. Sorry, that oh. was the. Oh, sorry. Was that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that, that 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 was that's the the cliche way that you you always write essays yep. with. When and you're that, well, you're taught school. that until you get to a certain age where they say never write an essay opening right. that with your with that's your opening sentence. Oh, it's just it's the same as writing a cursive, I guess. Um, Bullock as the the man is a lunatic, high water, never made much sense, but now he utters pure gibberish. Did he look pale to you? What? Did he seem pale? How the fuck did I know he was pale? I love that little, <laughs> that little sequence. He looked pale to me. Yeah. That whole yeah, that whole back and forth is really good. Up through the when he's yelling at uh, at, uh, at Saul about what what part he is, and like right before yep. he storms off and asks him if. He'll make him up a, a pack or something. Yeah, he's going. You're going to pack a bag so I can get a head. So the motherfucker doesn't get too big of a head start on me. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that, I thought that was all really good. High water. He never made much sense, but now he just utters pure gibberish. Did he look pale to you? What? Did he seem pale? How the fuck do I know if he was pale or not? He looked pale to me. What if he was? Let's say he was. Will you shut up about it? What is my part and your part? What part of my part is your part? Is my foot your knee? What about your ear? What the fuck is that? Yeah. I, I don't know. What don't you know? If he was pale or not, what you're supposed to do. I'm not supposed to do anything. Let's agree to that. Not one fucking thing that I don't decide I'm gonna. All right, Saul? All right. Suspenders. God damn it! I killed a droop-eyed son of a bitch, and my part's getting hanged for it. Good luck with the fucking store. All right. I'll write to Martha and see it posted. You look out after that widow. All right, Sam. Can I impose on you to pack a bag for me to cut down on the cocksucker's head start? Be ready for you when you ride out. Thanks, all. Before we get to the other things about it, uh, just a couple favorite scenes, because we haven't talked about the women at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Trixie... Alma and Jane. Interesting uh, Joni stuff in this. Yeah, Joni too is the other the other fe- uh, female character who's in this one. I um basically I f- I feel like all the women subplots in this one are uh, sort of putting the women in positions to be the caretaker characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot. I know it's it's probably one of those things that isn't aging well or whatever, but like. In my experience, women are generally better caretakers than men. And I, I think that, like, the women of this show have basically been all bound up and separated from each other. Mm. And as they are allowed to interact with each other and as they're allowed to spread out and interact with other characters, they counteract the sort of machismo of something like Al, which is this sort of, like, self-motivated, I'm going to get what I want and I need to ensure that I get what I want, into a larger sense of taking care of each other and Trixie doesn't give the dope to Alma like Al wants her to she tries to help right. her get well they take care of the kid they have a bonding about that Jane shows her uh, capacity as like her continued capacity as someone who can take care of other people but she takes care of Andy Kramed in the, the woods um, they're just devel- I don't, I don't they're developing as she, the town is 
I don't know how much she really takes care of him. But. She gives him water, which is more yeah. She she wanders <laughs> off to get him water and then comes back like an hour later. <laughs> the creek was a long way, long way away. She could have burned the blankets just like that guy was supposed to. Was that when Sai says burn the blanket? Is that code for while the guy is on it? Oh, I don't know. I I honestly wasn't sure. Because um, was that was maybe. That, was that guy just scared of getting smallpox and that's why he didn't want to drop him off? Or was he like, I don't want to kill him. Can someone else do this for me? Yeah, I think I think he understood he was going to have to kill the guy. Okay. And he didn't want it, which is, well, I mean, dropping him off in the woods isn't much better than just fucking no, putting, but putting when, one in his head. But. When Sai is talking about him afterwards, it's always in the past tense as if he's dead already. Like, Sai yeah. doesn't seem to have any indication that he thinks Andy is going to pull through his sickness. Right, right. Yeah. And the guy who uh the guy who pulls him out brings him out to the woods is uh uh he was in 24 a lot. Yeah, he's um, the president or something or, or is no, the director. No, he, he was like something? a high like a high-ranking general or something yeah. or maybe, maybe did he run CTU? I can't remember. He was in it all the time. He he's a dad also, in Friday uh, Night Lights, I think. Like, that's right. Yep. yep. And he's uh one of the generals in The Rock as well. He yeah. he's uh, <laughs> he basically made his entire career playing like military guys. Fuck Sai. He, he has a great fuck Sai in this one. You all right? Look, I'm sorry as hell about all this. Sorry as hell. I'm not going to burn the fucking blanket. Fuck Sai. Look, this is not my fucking fault. It's not my fault. Um, I think he might be in Top Gun as well. Actually, could be. He 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 has that kind of face that would uh, that would fit in all those things. Yeah, and um, this Jesus. Do you have anything you want to say about the female characters before we move on? I feel like we've been going for a while, but there's a, there's a lot to talk about. Alma, I'm I'm curious to see how Alma starts to unfold because I like. I think she's been given. Um, what's the actress's name? Molly. Molly. Yeah, is it Molly uh, Brown is it Molly like Smith? Is it Molly? I can look it up while you go ahead. Uh, anyway, she she, I th- I feel like she's been given a tough Molly Parker. Sorry, Parker, a tough role, and I I don't mean like in a bad way, just like a difficult role, because she has to now she's gone from uh pl- just kind of being doped up to now trying to portray um. A, a strong front while also silently going through withdrawal. Yeah. yeah. And she's got this really interesting kind of kind of arc in front of her where she is well aware that she is out of her depth and could very easily be taken advantage of. So she has to be extra stiff. Yeah. But in being extra stiff, you also have to be able to emote and, and all this kind of stuff. So I, I I like I really like her performance, and I think uh, it's going to be uh, really fun to see where she goes from here. I don't know what's become of the woman who was Mr. Hickok's friend. Probably drunk over his murder. Yes, well, there's a child to be considered. And she could be doing better. Despite her situation. I don't see your medicine. No, I broke the bottle. All right. No. I don't know if this is the time for you to stop taking this laudanum, Mrs. Garrett. 
Oh, what a pleasant surprise, Doctor. To hear you admit the limits of your knowledge. Pleasant surprise, Doctor, to hear you admit the limits of your knowledge. She, she's an... Um, I think Parker does a good job just because she is fairly antagonistic to Doc Cochran, and Doc Cochran is a character that the audience would like, but you don't really t- hold it against Alma that she says mm-hmm. these things to him. Um, yeah, I, I like all the... Um, you know, it it speaks to the the female characters breaking free is when you see when Al uh, goes in to tell Trixie to give the dope to Alma. He walks in and she's looking out the window and he says, "What do you look at out there?" And she says, "Whatever is." She says something like, "Whatever's out there that I can see." It's it's you know it's just the it's a somewhat not too subtle thing of like the women are all trapped within these confines that they have. Mm-hmm. Alma to her drug addiction, Trixie to Al, uh, Calamity Jane to her like alcoholism. Um, and as the character, as those characters break out of their boundaries, uh, things will actually start to flourish between them. Also, despite having to play or maintain her composure in the town, I feel like Alma, when Seth shows up, is uh, pretty clearly horny on main. Yes. as the kids would say. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bullock is a little bit standoffish there, but she she knows him from she knows Alma knows Bullock from the time they he fought with Wild Bill Hickok. Um, I like the line where she's she's signing the thing, and she clearly hates Farnham, uh, which is yeah, terrific. Uh, but Farnham, when, <laughs> he he might be my favorite character in the show. He's, he's such he's, a he's very shithead. Good. Yeah, she has the thing where she's like, I'm signing over my proxy. Uh, to Mr. Bullock, and he says, "I see." And she goes, <laughs> "She goes." I thought you might. She says something like, "I thought you might be able to see, but I thought I'd tell you just in case anyway," which is a nice little yeah, uh, tag yeah. onto him. Mr. Bullock has authority to act in my behalf on all matters relating to the claim. I see. Guess you couldn't. I thought I'd tell you. Wonderful. One load off your back. Let me see about getting you that quick. Yep, Farnham is um, slimy as ever uh, in in this. Uh, like he he does that great thing again in this one where he I can't remember exactly what he says, but basically he he broaches her uh, he 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 approaches her and talks to her in a way that feels like he is trying to be um, thoughtful and compassionate but it's yeah. just a back door to him being like so have you thought about how much, yeah, he, how much money you might want to get take for that <laughs> that claim yeah, he always he says something along the lines of like i hope to relieve you of all your concerns and difficulties or something he's like have you with that said have you thought about my offer yeah. that i made to you previously yeah yeah um the other ones uh just small points about i think Psy. the more you see of Psy, the more you get the sense of Sai is a, a worst case version of Swearingen in a lot of ways. Sai is the Sai mm. is Swearingen without any sense of conscience for anybody else whatsoever. Mm. You know, he's the yeah. he's le- he's leading his coworkers out to die in the. Uh, they're both obsessed with the money, but Sai is the one who leads um, coworkers out to die in the fields. He is obviously controlling towards Joni. Um, he sends he sends that kid off for some Montana pussy <laughs> to get the vaccine. Nebraska, Nebraska pussy. <laughs> I really love that scene too because, like you 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 get a sense of how long that he and Ricky Jay have been working together because all he has to do is call him over and he Ricky knows Jay's exactly right, 
right there with him with whatever bullshit he's slinging at this guy. <laughs> what does Ricky Jay says? He says, I still mark the anniversary. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very funny together. Um, he sends the scene him off. With, the scene with Joni making out with the woman was was a little strange. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I guess it was... Is that supposed supposed to be her being like, yeah, I'm done, I'm I'm back to whoring? Yeah, she knows her something. place. You know, size yeah. size concerned that she might be breaking away and being influenced by outside activities. She she had gone to listen to the sermon, and so to sort of put a salve on him, she starts making out with one of the other whores in there just to prove her, at least attempt to prove her loyalty to him. Because I never um. Do you have a good sense of the relationship between those two? Um, it's never made explicit, as yeah, I can recall. It, I don't. I'm not really 100 percent sure what the I, like. I don't know if they're actually in a romantic relationship or something like that. With her and the whore, you mean? Sai and Joni. Oh, yes. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I I saw them more as business partners. Yeah. And I thought that the first episode where they show up, it, it felt like they kind of played Joni as almost an equal to Cy. And um, clearly here they are showing that that is not the case. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, maybe we'll, I maybe we'll, they'll give more details as we move further into the, the season or something. But yeah, it's a little bit hazy in that way that some of the Deadwood relationships are a little bit hazy. Um. Any other sequence? I mean, I, I guess that a, a good thing to uh, just favorite little bits. I um, I adore the judge and Al scene. <laughs> Do you want to blow job while I talk to you? No, I wasn't offering him personally. <laughs> also, but also his whole run on um, uh, the Viper visions that he had is yeah, great. Yeah, that was, that was good too, yeah. Yeah, just, and just the... Just the He's talking to him about like what the outcomes for things are going to be, whether or not it's like the, he's you know he's saying that we could we could have some masked men come and just cut Jack McCall's throat and feed him to the pigs. He has that funny line about the uh, celestials little pigs will be on their backs with their hooves in the air, building up human remains, and then he goes into the other vision that he had is um a pit of vipers, and the pit of vipers lives in Washington, and the vipers are going to come uh, and be upset with us for setting up to take our make our own laws or organizations and then they're going to strangle and swallow and take every fucking thing that we gain you want a blowjob while i talk to you no i wasn't offering it personally make your point my point is before a guilty verdict would get executed on that cocksucker three men would walk in that meat locker where he's being held with bags over their heads and cut his fucking throat and within half an hour, that Celestial's little pigs will be on their backs with their hooves in the air, belching up human remains. Are you saying you'd order that to be done? I'm saying I had a vision it had happened. My second of the day. First come when I was watching you and them lawyers online this morning. They began to slither in my sight like vipers. So as not to puke, I had to close my eyes. The vision went on got worse i saw the vipers in the big nest in washington they were taking us in the camp for acting like we could set our own laws up our organizations and then i saw the big vipers decide to strangle and swallow us up and every fucking thing we gained here it was horrible 
How could we fucking avoid it? How could we let the vipers in the big nest know that we didn't want to cause any fucking trouble? And that's when you had your second vision. Yeah, the cutthroats and the pigs, but who wants all that blood spilled, Judge, huh? Isn't there a simpler way of not pissing off the big vipers? It's, I just, I like the imagery. Um, it's this nice mix of uh, profanity and profundity, I guess. It's, I w- yeah. I wish the judge had been like, you know, Al, I'm going to stop you there. I, it's just really boring when people describe dreams, and I just don't care. <laughs> now, what, what do you hear? To, what do you want to talk to me about? He got the, he got Al's point quickly. He took his drink yes. and was like, I have to go back to the to the jury now. Mm-hmm. I love that scene. I, I also I also really like that they call recess uh, say, we, nature. The court is in recess for nature. Nature. <laughs> Yeah, and then he goes back and he gives the jury uh, some sort of like slanted instructions about how to deal with McCall. Um, also, just the you know the the great mix of humor. I think my favorite joke is so far is in this episode too. It's after uh, Swearingen tells Jack to like run for his fucking life and that someone's here is going to kill you. I've got your horse. Get out of here. Um, he has that thing where he's talking to Dan right after he leaves and he says, remember this when you run your own place, that type of guy hanging around, getting people agitated, forces them to take a position one side or the other. And the agitation brings a slight bump up in whiskey sales, but the sale of cunt plummets. And that's why I often wonder if I should take down that fucking picture of Lincoln, (laughs) 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 which is this, it's this great mix of, he's saying something really profound about why he's taking this position, which is that you can't have people around that other people have too strong of an opinion on because it'll cause problems. And mm-hmm. then it just pans up to this picture of Lincoln after the Civil War. And he's like, should I take that picture down? That might be a good <laughs> idea. It's very funny. I also really like that scene because it's it's a moment where Al is legitimately giving good advice to, to Dan. Yes. Yeah. And it's like it kind of it kind of shows you that what their relationship is a bit where Al kind of, I think, sees Dan to be sort of a protege. Yeah. In, he's a, a, me- a mentor respects. to him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's just it's just i just love that little run it's like it's a great joke it's this really insightful thing about like why al would not want mccall to hang around there it it brings in the like the profanity of like this bumps up whiskey but the sale of cunt plummets and then it just mm-hmm. ends with that the joke of lincoln it's just like wow what a what a tour de force of uh, a couple lines of dialogue from al there um Anything else in this one? Did you have anything else you want to say, or are we done? I think we've covered pretty much every scene. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's it. Um, we, we have we have talked about it as long as the episode itself is. Yeah, I think maybe even maybe in ten minutes longer. Yeah, it's uh, maybe not my favorite episode of the season so far. I think it. I think it thematically still works. Everything is still all there. Um, yeah, it's really just. I'm not even quite sure why it doesn't stick it up to me as like one of my favorites, probably just because the trial is a little bit long um, and stuff like that. But it, I think it all works. It's just not yeah. as, I don't know, not as uh, engaging, maybe. It sounds, every mm. word I say seems a little bit harsh, but it, it just doesn't feel I think like it's it hits just, the same. I think a lot of it is just that the, it's the first, we've kind of hit the first big point with Bill's death. Yeah. And so it's just, I, I think it's a little bit of a ground laying episode where things are kind of sh- shifting around a bit that will pay off as the, as the episodes continue to go. Yeah. But this is the first one where it's like, okay, we've hit the first milestone and now we have to regroup a little bit. Did you, um, 
I remember the first time I watched it, I remembered being surprised by the McCall verdict because I didn't know the history of it that like McCall actually does get off in real life uh, of, mm-hmm. off of this sort of thing with basically for the same reasons, which is that they had to have a sham trial because they were concerned about the United States uh, seeing what they were building as a legitimate sovereign nation instead of uh, a United States offshoot. Did, did you... Um, <laughs> because the U.S. government would go... Well, I know that they're United States citizens because the trial was a sham. If it had been a if it had been a fair trial, clearly they would have been setting up some new nation that couldn't fall under our purview. If anyone wants a really, I read a popular crime by Bill James is like a really great. It's not even about the justice system, but he does a really great job of like just showing a lot of the deficiencies in it. Um, mm. It's mostly, not just a a book full of lists of popular crimes. It is. It is with his analysis of popular crimes, which is really kind of fascinating, um, and oh. like what he thinks <laughs> happened and stuff like that. I no, I, I just thought like it was going to be a, a phone book type thing where it's like a arson, oh, b right. burglary, <laughs> c caterwauling. Um. <laughs> that one's a little. That was an older older law that isn't as popular now, but back in the day, just like percentage wise for the time, huge. very tough. <clears throat> yeah, we're just. Um, we're not built for evidence-based trials at this point. We still have this need for storytelling type stuff, and it, it seems to never really work out the way that you would expect it to. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. The most frustrating thing about the criminal justice system um, is <laughs> I feel like every 10 years or so, there's like a linchpin of things that are used for convictions that people are like, well, you know, you can't really trust that stuff. Whether it's like eyewitness testimony, ah, well, you know that stuff yeah, isn't yeah. really. You can't really trust that stuff. Okay, yeah. sure. Lie detector test, ah, eh, you know you can't really trust that stuff. Okay, uh, DNA, well, yeah, better, but still, honestly, you can't really trust. It. It's like, okay, well, what the fuck are we supposed to do? Well, you know what's what's the uh, the weird thing about DNA is because there was the um, we're like a couple weeks after they caught the guy who did the Idaho Moscow murders thing, mm-hmm. and. The reporting on it, they, like they got him from DNA, right? Or they they got DNA of his father, and they were yeah. therefore able to determine that he, the killer who was at the site, was an offspring of this father, basically. And he has that is pretty cool. One son, but so what's weird about it is it's our reptile brain because the reporting was like the odds that the killer is not related to this man are like one in a billion, right? Yeah, yeah. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, so they might not have actually got this guy. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, right, yeah. <laughs> it's the reverse of the dumb and dumber thing where it's like it's your chances are one in a million, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah, you're telling me there's a chance. And, I, you know, I, I did it and I thought that. Then I was like, what the fuck am I talking about? Like, and that's exactly, it's just the weakness of our understanding evidence yeah. and statistics, you know, but it's that, that yeah, weird thing. That's, that's the thing. It's like, I, I think... Probably due to popular television for the past 60 years, there's a certain level of narrative that everybody has regarding trials, right? And so what you want to see in a trial is a slam dunk, we got them kind of thing. And so DNA serves that purpose because it's like, well, we have this DNA that conclusively proves that blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, awesome. That, that satisfies the narrative, like the storytelling aspect that you want out of, out of seeing a trial, which is usually covered with a narrative, right? Yeah. But then 
when you when people start saying that stuff, which is not saying that the DNA stuff isn't accurate, but it's just like the storytelling narrative part of your brain just goes, oh yeah, so you're, there is a chance that it's not him. Yes. Like it's not yeah. just because there no one is saying we are a hundred percent certain that it is this person. Saying we are ninety nine point nine nine with a line over the top certain still gives gives you a chance to be like, well, I don't know, they might have the yeah. wrong guy. Yep. No, that's my my like largely. And it's un- also sorry. I was just saying it's also frustrating in the other way because you have something like DNA technology, which you can very very conclusively, you know, solve these things with. Yeah. But that comes at the end of. 200 something years of we just need a guy that we can hang in front of 60 people so we can say we closed the case right you know so it's 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 a very strange people have a very strange relationship with with criminal justice yeah 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 that's i guess i mean you know thematically it ties in with the episode my my um my sort of uninformed take on criminal justice is that i always like i understand why it is this way but I, I do feel I do feel that defense attorneys are allowed a lot of leeway in a way that I don't think is appropriate, really. Because mm-hmm. um, like the job of a defense attorney is you just have to come up with a conceivably bullshit story, you know? Like yeah. <laughs> you just you, you don't have to really you don't have to debunk the facts as much as just like sow a lot of doubt onto things, right? And yeah. which is not really the same thing. And I understand why it has to be that way because you have to have a system where the prosecution has to have like an airlock tight case to convict somebody. But it does yeah. feel unfair sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you the one time that I sat on a jury for a for like a a, a, a violent like home invasion assault thing. Mm. Um, you know, the prosecution would would do would have these testimonies that were really compelling from the people who were there and affected by this stuff and then i swear to god the defense attorney all the defense attorney did was he would get up and he would ask every single question that the prosecutor asked but he would ask it in a way that was just trying it was him asking asking them essentially to confirm it yeah hoping for them to screw up yeah that was this whole strategy was like so you said that you were there between 8 and 8.30. Is that true? It's like, yes. And then you said once you got there between 8 and 8.30, you went and you had a turkey sandwich. Is that true? <laughs> yes. It was like, it was, it was yeah. interminable. It yep. was, it, it, it was, I could not believe how long and boring it was. And I feel bad saying that because obviously there's a lot on the line, but it's, it was just like, it well, was it a like war he of attrition. Have it. it sounds like he's... In a case that he can't win, and he's just yeah, he didn't to, have much yeah. of a case. <laughs> after to the point where after after the, we ended up convicting these guys, um, and may they burn in hell. <laughs> yeah, well, which it was interesting in and of itself because we we went back after after the proceedings were done, we went back to to deliberate, and everybody there was was like, okay, we're going to go back through the evidence. We want to make sure that we're making the right decision, right. except for one person who was like. What are we even doing here? They're clearly guilty. <laughs> it's it's like let's just a- get out. I got to put another quarter in the meter because we can't we can't come to a conclusion that these guys are guilty. And we're like we just want to. These people's lives are in our hands. It's here. like we an anti sure. twelve angry men. It's like the exact <laughs> <Right>. opposite. <Yeah. laughs> and then and then when we finally all came around to the unanimous verdict, this person was like, "I told you this." 
four days ago. <laughs> and then after after it was all said and done, the judge actually came in and said, "Yeah, you guys made the right decision. This these two are b- bad dudes. This yeah. is not the first time that this." And we were like, "Oh shit!" So yeah. you know, cl- there was uh, there was some other stuff going on that well, we, and, we were yeah, not privy to. Yeah, that's it's all it's all very complicated. Like you can't bring up the prior history when the prior history seems like it matters yeah. a lot of times. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's important to know that these guys have done this to five other people before this time, too. It's like, well, I, I understand yeah. that it would kind of, you're supposed to take it case by case, but I, I feel like it does. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it is It is strange, but it also is fair, you yeah, know, because it's, it's, it's fair. Yeah. Because you are there to, del- to figure out what happened in a singular sense. Like, like if you were, if this person were on trial for the, the, you know, murder of six people. Yeah. Then it makes sense. Okay, sure. But like if it's did they kill this one person? Well, if the evidence points to no, then you gotta let them off, even if they did kill five right. other people. Yeah, and that's the the point earlier. It's like justice is served there, but it's it's right. not yeah. emotionally satisfying, really. That's why it's always strange when you hear those like serial killer convictions where they're they're on trial for like ten people and eight of them were guilty verdicts verdicts yeah. and then the other two were not guilty. It's like, oh well, okay. I just I guess you got to show your impartiality there, but yeah, yeah. Um, all right, I guess we're done. That's it for the trial of Jack McCall. Thanks everybody for listening to our coverage of Deadwood. You can did you? Sorry, I know we're trying to end here, but mm-hmm. did you watch the Jinx when it came out? Yes, yeah. My the best thing I've ever seen from a, uh, a, a thousand thousand foot viewpoint was Robert Durst's defense for killing that one guy saying like i didn't kill him i just chopped him up and got rid of the body <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he was dead is it what is was he dead when he got there or did he just like he, he claimed yeah he claimed that he either like was dead when he got there or he collapsed but he was like i didn't know what to do because <laughs> if i called the cops it was gonna look bad so i didn't kill him but i did chop him up to dispose of the body yeah Makes sense. And he wasn't on he wasn't on trial for chopping up the body. <laughs> he was on trial for murder. <laughs> and so he got off. Yeah. It's But can, he's dead now, so You know, and if he you know, if you're sitting on that jury, my lizard part of my brain is going, Well, maybe he did just find the guy and he shot. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of that's the thing, right? It's like I mean, I'm not here to convict the guy for killing him for chopping the body up. Yep. And the, they didn't present a good enough case. To right, prove, that he killed. Um, although, I, <laughs> although, like, how do you? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's weird. You, you know, because even the the idea of reasonable doubt is a wishy washy thing. It's like yeah. reasonable doubt. Well, I guess it could be. That's that one in a billion, a billion uh, chance that the DNA doesn't match. That's right. right. Well, thanks, Clay, for helping me piss off every law student uh, who's listening oh, to this. Yeah. I think I look for, we look forward to your letters. <laughs> I'm speaking in incredibly large swaths of abstract. Um, that's it. Thanks for everybody listening to the trial of Jack McCall. Support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. We get a whole bunch of other shows out there, too. Beyond Deadwood, there's Star Trek horror shows. There's the Batman, the animated series show that Clay does with Sean. And he does the horror one with Amanda. And we do the Star Trek one together, like Saul and Seth in this one. Pack me a bag, Clay, so I can get a head start on editing these podcasts. You do tend to get very emotional and weepy anytime we <laughs> kill an episode. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you put your dick in his ass. Oh, Jack, uh, Jack McCall. 
All right, that's it. I guess we're done. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back with the next episode. I believe it's Plague. Let me check. It is. It's Plague. So we will return next week. Clay, did you have anything you want to say? No. Uh, just, yeah, keep checking out the other shows. We're into the video nasties on Rotten Horror Picture Show Patreon, so that'll be fun, nice and gory. So mm-hmm. uh, check it out. And if you made it this far, let us know how your Deadwood watch is going as well, you can join the Discord and talk to us over there. I think that's really the only way that we can connect on this one because we're not on YouTube for this one. Bam. All right, we're done. Thanks, everybody. See you next week with Plague. Hey, I know you. I know you too. I guess after bum rushing me out of your fine fucking hardware establishment, you didn't see this coming, did you? Halfway did. You droopied cocksucker. I was born droopied, all right? And who do you blame for the rest of the fucking mess? Well, let me ask you this, cocksucker. You think they know me in New York City by now? If you wasn't tied up, I'd kill you. What are you crying for? What? I'm asking what you're crying for. Because you love Hickok so much. Oh, you sweetheart. He's digging dick up your ass. Hey, hey. Endless men's counsel.